Welcome to the Todd DeVoe Show, exploring the best ideas and lessons for leaders. Good morning, good morning, good afternoon, depending on where you are at in this fine land. And I'm excited today to have this conversation about leadership, um, what it means to to lead men and I guess women too in the, in the sense of in the military. And then uh, how do you transition from that into leading into the real world as we call it? Fran, welcome to the show. Hey, Todd. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So in the real world. Yeah, I, I, you know, I always think about like the real <laughs> world compared to like the military world, right? Like, like I, I know, like leadership is. I mean, we, you know, I, I, I joke. And were you always an officer, or did you were you enlisted first? I was. I, w- I went after I graduated Boston University. I went into officer candidate school, and uh, I was an officer from yeah from the start. My, minus the the couple of weeks you spend at basic training, where you're technically an E four specialist. Oh, okay. And and then they discharge you and then they commission you. So, uh, but if you ever tell anybody, I, I was enlisted for a short period of time, they'll throw you out of the room. So you don't get to say that. <laughs> the reason why I asked that question is because like, I, I remember you get like this, you know, an 01 or 02, you know, walks into the room and says, all right, boys, you know, this is what we're doing. And and like lays down the law, what's going to be happening. And we're all like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, and, you know, he walks out from briefing and then we take a look at the senior NCO in the room and go, is that really how we're doing it? You know, to see like if that's like the the real way things are done. And and uh, the reason why I say the real world compared to the military is because we're going to listen to you because we, we we have to. Right. I mean, we're you know, that's just the rules. But, um, um, you know, in when you're leading in organizations that are you know civilian based organizations that aren't paramilitary, like fire or law enforcement, um, you kind of, you really have to lead from a different space. Do you agree with that? Uh, Absolutely. I mean, I think the military does a really great job of teaching you what I call perspective. I mean, you, you are afforded the opportunity to lead in a variety of different environments, right? And so you're always faced with these different challenges and you're in different areas of the world and you have a different challenge to solve, but you also have really different people. And I think one one of the great things about the army is that it really takes the entire population and it's a good subset of what our demographically we look like. And so you go into the army and all of a sudden you're with people who are not from where you're from. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of like this general representation and percentages and say, I'm from, I'm from Boston and new England. And I got there, there was like, one other guy, two other guys from Boston and New England. And then, but then there's a lot of people from the South. There's a lot of people from the Midwest. And all of a sudden here you are in a variety of different experiences, a variety of different challenges that you have to face with people who don't always think like you. And even though you're all American, you're there for the same reason. And I went in, in 2003. So it was still very much, you know, then the post nine 11, we got to get after it. We were in Iraq and now you have to figure out how am I going to lead these people? How am I going to work, even work with these people? Forget about le- leading them you know, in a way that is going to get them to all come together. Those lessons about building teams, building organizations, listening, understanding people, they translate well after the military into anything that we set off and do. So I, I, I agree with you. And, and I do think it's a great place for young men and women to, to cut their teeth in leadership. Because even even as a enlisted guy, right? You know, I went through being, you know, an e nothing 
um, up to the point to where I had a group of guys. In this case, was all, I didn't have any women in my group. Um, a group of men that I had to 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 lead, right? As a as a petty officer, um, and it, it you go through training, right? I mean, the one thing the military does do well is they train the crap out of you. They're, they're going to make sure that you know. Well, like what, what you're doing, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not afraid of putting you in classes. That's for sure. Yeah, they uh, train you and assess you. That's, that's yeah. you're always training and you're always being assessed. So your, your journey is kind of interesting though, because you, you went special forces, right? I did. So I went into the army and I spent about three years in the infantry, uh, deployed to Iraq for a year during that time with fourth infantry division. And then from there, my window opened up to go to special forces. And then I went to selection, uh, was selected, went to the special forces qualification course. And then I spent the the next nine years as a green beret. Wow. That's a, that's a, it's a pretty lengthy uh, process to get to become a green beret though, isn't it? It was, I think about, uh, all in all, almost two years. So you go to the, you, you apply, you have to be selected to go to selection. Then you go to selection. It's a three week process. If you make it and there's a, you know, a, a number of majority of folks don't. And even people who make it all the way through the course may, may not be selected. Uh, th- then they'll go uh, from there to the special forces qualification course, which can be, you know, at a bare minimum, it's a year. If you're a medic, you know, it could be up to two years because you have that, the additional medical training. And then if you recycle or don't pass any of the phases and, and you're afforded the training opportunity to do it again, that's what we'll call it. Then, uh, yeah, that's going to expand your time there. I, I, I always think it's amazing that people don't understand that when you go through the selection process, and you could pass everything, everything, and then you still don't get your tab because they're like they're yeah. not like ah oh, they're like thanks thanks for coming out uh, you didn't quite just make the cut you know even though you passed everything so it's not like you don't meet minimum qualifications right there's not the minimum qualifications that you have to meet you you have to actually maximize those minimum the the, the basic right. Well, they're evaluating you on what what they call a, a whole the whole man or, or whole soldier. You know now, right? Now, now we've it used to be whole man. Now we've introduced you know women into the force, which has been a great change and, and a great positive, uh, a positive addition to the regiment and to the organization. But it's the whole concept, and so you could be you could be phenomenal at at one two three things um and you could be really bad at one or two things and still make it right because mm-hmm. they're evaluating you um for for the job that they're asking you to do which might be different if you're an officer or if you're enlisted they're eva- evaluating you on a set of characteristics which when when placed in certain scenarios will be weighted differently um but no one is perfect in absolutely everything that they do, but there is a minimum standard for everything. Uh, and at the end of the day, what it comes down to is character and, you, and your ability to have a high degree of integrity and your ability to get along and work well with others. And so you could have people who make it all the way through who were phenomenal. They're physical specimens. They, they lead pretty well. They solve complex problems, uh, but they're a jerk uh, and yeah. nobody likes them. Uh, and you know, they do an evaluation at the end and you do a peer review and everybody says, no, I don't, I can't stand this person. I don't want to be around him. I don't trust him. I wouldn't put him on their team and you're not going to make it. Right. I was looking at this, um, this video that Simon Sinek has out and he was dealing with uh, Navy SEALs and, um, they go through this graph that he puts on. I don't know if you give, if you guys have not seen it, you should check it out. It's pretty interesting. I'm probably going to butcher it up a little bit here, but you'll get the understanding of the picture here is that on one end, is your ability to do 
the job, right? Mm -hmm. On the one axis. And the other axis, the y-axis, is your, uh, for lack of a better term, I'm going to say likability standards or your ability Mm -hmm. to work with others. And um, across the board, they're saying, like, the Navy SEALs would prefer to have somebody who is higher up on on the y-axis than the x and and even it may be even mediocre when it comes to your skills because skills you can always improve but your personality and working with others it's it's really hard to uh to change that person you guys have the same feeling with is is that about right it 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 is so we have what's called in special operations and i talk about it on my podcast on the jed burke podcast one of our grounding foundations of the podcast is the nine characteristics of performance that as defined by special operations command and so special operations command has these nine characteristics and these nine characteristics form the foundation by which really everything else is built on it right and depending on the situation that you're in it's going to call for you to exhibit some combination of a number of these, whether it's you know humility or curiosity or drive, integrity, team ability. Um, you may take some of those at one point and not be using others like you know uh, emotional strength or effective intelligence might not come into play. Now. Each service component in special operations, whether Green Beret, Navy SEAL, Army Rangers, Air Force, you know, the Marines, they all weight these nine differently. Mm. So to be a Green Beret, there's you know four or five of them that we weight heavier than the Navy SEALs do. Team ability, and this is a conversation I had, I think it was in episode 41 on, on my podcast with Rich Devinney. And Rich Devinney was a, was, a, was a Navy SEAL, he's a retired Navy SEAL, and he wrote a book called The Attributes. And the, it came out last year, and The Attributes takes these 25 attributes that then define your character, and he ran selection and assessment for SEAL Team 6. So, I mean, phenomenal organ, counterterrorism organization, best in the world at what they do and best in the world at team ability. And him and I had this conversation about team ability because as a Navy SEAL, you're absolutely right. Team ability is weighted heavier because almost, I won't say 100% of the time, but the majority of the time, Navy SEALs are not asked to do anything on their own. It's a collective environment. Everything they do is as a team. So you may not be as proficient because you're right. They can teach those skills, but you have to be able to work with others. As a Green Beret, our mission of unconventional warfare, of foreign internal defense, actually dictates that when we operate as a 12-man team, that's actually rare. The Most of the time, our 12-man team will deploy, and then it will segment down into six, into three, into two, and often into one. And you may find yourself being the only person or one of two in some nation in Africa. I I found myself, you know, in some nation in in Central Africa, me and one other person briefing an ambassador, going with a foreign indigenous force out to a training facility in the middle of, of the jungle. And that's it. And so your team ability becomes less because we're waiting now, you know, integrity, curiosity, humility higher because we're asking this person to go out on their own. And now we have to put the full trust in that this person is going to execute what they've been asked to do and do it to a high degree without oversight. Right. And you can see the difference too in the language, right? When we talk about the Navy SEALs, 
they refer to the teams, right? Mm-hmm. All the time we refer to the teams. Um, and so it's part of part of their vernacular and their culture. Um, you know, I, I always find it interesting too with the Green Beret specifically that there are times when you guys are 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 a one man shop and uh when I when I was in the field a few times we we got to bump into a few of you guys, and it's always interesting to see. Like, obviously, you're like, where the hell did this guy come from? He just popped out of, out of nowhere, and it's like, okay, you know. And then he disappears into the mist. Into the mist, you're like, okay, there he goes. You know, wherever he went, right? So it's, it was a, it was like a unicorn running around in the into the into the areas. So let's let's kind of transition from from the military where we where we are, right? And then we go into um, bringing those skills uh, to the civilian population, and even even like, I, I would say even like talk about in government side, but not necessarily the paramilitary, right? Like, so if you're working, say, you know, in, in a uh, for the the city of X, and you're running, you know, like emergency services, or you're running public works, how do you apply those leadership principles to say to government agencies or to civilian businesses? Yeah, I mean, the principles are the same. Um, you know, what's, what's leadership at the end of the day, there's a lot of different definitions of leadership. I often, I give a a series of, of keynote talks where we start with, you know, some definitions of leadership. And one of the ones that I like when we talk about leadership in this context is that leadership is the ability to inspire others to do something that they may not have otherwise done. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about government, when we talk about uh, the public sector, we talk about emergency services, there's a, a lot of transitionability from the military into those organizations because safety, protection, security, you know, emergency response, disaster recovery, there's a lot of synonymous features in there. So it's an easy parallel. And at the end of the day, you're asking people to show extreme amounts of emotional strength mm-hmm. in times of uncertainty in times when the majority of people will fail to make decisions. And if they make decisions, will often make poor decisions because they haven't had what we call effective intelligence. They haven't had a series of experiences in their past that then can guide and shape them. Then when we take people in these public sector domains, especially in emergency services, there is something gained from being on earth longer. They've just had experiences. They've just been there. They've seen that. So they know I can control now my emotions. I've generally seen a situation like this. Maybe it's not the same, but I know how we, how I can effectively think through my response in the, in the private sector. When I, when I ran security programs, we always would would talk about standard operating procedures for emergency response you know and we would say well you know get out the playbook get out the playbook and somebody pull out this you know four four inch binder and it would have all these pages on you know <laughs> what to do and i'd immediately say you got to throw that thing out the window nobody's going to read that nobody right. we're not we need to teach leaders how to think we can't teach leaders what to do you if you teach leaders what to do then you're destined for failure because there's no innovative thinking. There's no creativity. There's no ability to adapt a plan to a certain situation. What we have to do is create frameworks. And and I'm big now. I'm the chief people officer of a company called Analytics out of Boston. We have 700 employees and we're, we're growing. We're working to, our vision is to double the size of the company in the next three years. And everything I talk about is framework. Show me the framework, build the framework. 
we're talking about trans call this morning about training and we're saying, well, what are the train? We have, we have seven or eight different departments and they said, well, we need to, we need to build the training content for each one of these departments. And I said, no, we don't. Eventually we do. But first we have to get the leaders of these departments down. We have to give them a framework to think through their training priorities. Who are you trying to train? What is the baseline level of training that you want to implement that's common to all? What are the additional skills based on your job that are specialties? You know, what are the, what are the requirements that you have from compliance? Get those listed. Then you know big picture what has to be trained. You know who you need to train. And then you can start building a curriculum that's teaching them how to think through all of these, th this training plan. If we just sit there and say, train these 10 courses, you're never going to get there. Right. Where do you see, and it's kind of a kind of a weird bifurcated question because I, I don't think all managers are leaders, right? I, I really not. truly believe that. Um, but where do you see leadership failures in, in corporations? Um, is it at the management level? Is it at the CEO level? Like where, when it has the biggest impact um, on the organization? Well, I ask a lot of bifurcated questions, so I, I, I feel you. Um, the, I say that leaders exist at every level of an organization. There's no level at which you come in and it's like, okay, well, now you're a leader, so be prepared to lead today. You could be a leader and be the only person in your department, the only person on your initiative, but your ability to come to work, drive change with your initiative in your world, gain consensus, work cross-functionally across other departments, build something from nothing. You're a leader in doing that. And you may not have, you may not traditionally, you know, be able to walk in the office and be like, these are my men, you know, and point to everybody. It could be you. But if you're the CEO and you're a large organization, well, you do have that. So now you know, it starts to become, it, it's more visible, right? The decisions that you make become more visible. The way you act, the mentality that you have, the way you present yourself become more visible. Management is, the, is task related. Management is... Do you show up on time? Do you park in the right spot? You know, are you, do you act appropriately? You know, do you complete the tasks that have been assigned to you? You know, those are management tasks. Those are management skills. Are you, are, are you good at managing, you know, I say managing for a reason, right? You know, uh, coordinating a bunch of things at one time across different people with different projects. That's management. Leadership is the ability to get those people and yourself to actually execute those tasks yep. and execute those tasks at a high level without you having to stand over their shoulder and tell them how, what to do, how to do it. So our ability to lead is a, you have to be able to manage, to lead. Like you can't say like, oh, well, I'm a leader. I'm not a manager. Well, I mean, look, if you're going to be at a certain level, you know, you've got to be able to manage people because if you can't get people to, to show up on time and come to work and execute tasks, right? It doesn't matter how inspiring you are. If they don't respect your ability to actually manage them, it's never going to work. So they're, they're, they're linked together very closely, but there is a, a hard difference between the two. And where it falls apart is when people in leadership positions don't act like a leader. And what do I mean by right. act like a leader? I mean, they act like a manager. They tell everybody what to do. Maybe they're good at it, but then they don't 
actually do what they're telling others to do. And so there's not setting the example. A leader's job is to set the example. It's to inspire others to, to do more, to achieve what they're, what they're asking them to achieve. But you can't ask someone to do something if you're not willing to do it yourself. You know, a couple of things. Uh, Drucker and Singer and, and Weber talk about the idea of, of managing tasks and functions, right? Like if you take a look at the, those are like the, 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 the godfathers, if you will, of, 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 of management, of systems management, business management. And so they talk about managing functions, things that you're doing, whether it's at the factory, you know, but you're, they don't really talk about like, they don't manage people. And I think the difference is that you manage things and you, and you lead people and you, and you write to be, be proficient. You kind of have to do both. And then so now the other side of that is I was listening to uh free economics podcast. Um, and they're good talking, podcast. It's a great, it's a great podcast. If you guys don't listen to it, it's probably one that you should put on there. Uh, on your list, and and he was going in the, the talk about the Peter Principle, which was actually was was a a sarcastic book that was written back in the seventies about management. That's where you get the idea of you um, rise up to your uh, to to your incompetence, right? So the so, but what they mean by that is if you really take a deeper look into it, it's not that you're incompetent that you rise like if you're an incompetent person and you get promoted, it's that they promote you until you can't do the job anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's that's what it means. And, and so uh, sometimes I think that we we fail people right in businesses that we go, oh, you're a great salesperson or, you know, you're a great uh, techie. Uh, we're going to go ahead and have you lead a group of people in that field. But you don't give them leadership training um, or management training for that matter. Um, and I think that sets people up for, for failure. How do you do with that at your business? Like, how do you pick the next leaders and, and actually help them become successful and not wait till they fail. Yeah. We, there's a principle that we, we talk about a lot and it's called hire for character, train for skill. And we talked a bit about, you know, character, even in this conversation, and you've got to know what you're looking for. Do you have someone who exhibits these, the, the character traits, and we could even expand it into, you know, more detailed attributes that you need for this role. So if you have a salesperson, you have to sit down. You have to think about it. There's a conscious exercise that has to happen when you hire every role. I'm doing this at, at my company right now as we're expanding the company. And it's not just, oh, we're going to hire a salesperson, contact the recruiting team and HR, go hire a salesperson. You have to sit down and say, what are the things we care about? Do they need to exhibit drive? Do they need to exhibit integrity? Do they need to exhibit humility, right? You know, is there resilience? So if I'm looking at my sales team, yeah, they have to be driven. They have to work hard. I need them to constantly be pushing. They have to exhibit resilience because they're going to get told no a lot, but are they going to wake up the next morning and actually show up and, and keep at it? You know, are they going to be adaptable and do they have adaptability to think about, you know, is this working? Are they, do they have humility to say, maybe what, maybe what's happening right now isn't working for me. So I have to change. And I accept that there, those are some core characteristics that are going to tell me that this person can be successful in this role if they exhibit these core traits. And so going through that exercise is really important as you build your team. It doesn't take long. 
this is not, it's not a, you don't have to create a dissertation on, 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 you know, leadership and what you're looking for, but you can sit down and say, okay, I'm building an organization. Let me throw five things, five, eight things on the wall that I care about, you know, the, and then they become my values. They become these core guiding principles. I want people to ascribe somewhat to this. And if you don't like them over time, change them. But we're always, we always get nervous in these exercises and we're like, well, it's got to be perfect. And it's set the conditions for the next 20 years. GE has been around for a hundred years. They change all the time, you know, in yep. terms of these things you can too, if, especially when you're starting out, right? If you don't like it, change it in a couple of months, but start somewhere, create that list. And then when you create your hiring plan and you look at the different roles, figure out which of those you care about. If the person you're hiring behaviorally exhibits these things and they have some skills, right? Cause I mean, let's not, you know, we can't, be totally blind to that. You do have to have some skill and some stuff. Right. You can't be like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, I need to hire a software engineer, but you know, I I like this, I like this person over here. You know, I'll, I'll use myself who was a journalism major and I've never coded anything. If I don't know how to code, I don't know how to code, you know, like that's it. Sorry. You, so but you also have to understand those baseline non non-negotiables from a skill standpoint. But understand that there's a lot you can teach. There's a lot you can teach when you get into a role. You know, do you need them to be the best coder in the world? No. Can you teach them a lot about coding when you get there? Yes. If they if they exhibit these character traits that you need them to have in order for them to grow in that organization. I worked in an organization where they hired, um, before I got there, uh, they, they needed a sales team and they hired, you know, guys who were realtors. Um, hmm. They actually did pretty well. I, I, and they had never sold, uh, they had never sold packaged goods, you know, before, but you know, they knew, they, they knew how to wake up every day. They knew how to develop a client list. They knew how to hustle. They knew how to grind it out. They knew how to present the product and they did a pretty good job at it. That, that's another question too. And, and, you know, you just kind of put this in my head is can, there's just two schools of thoughts, I think. One is that as a leader, you can lead any organization without having an understanding of, I mean, when I say understanding, like like a basic understanding, like for me to go to, I don't know, say to your organization, you put me in as a manager. If I've managed someplace else, I should be able to do well there without even understanding necessarily the nuances of the organization. Um, do you believe that's true? Or do you think that you have to have a working knowledge um, of, of the product? Let's say like, Plastics, for instance, could you be? And the reason why I picked that because it's a GE, and I think of the plastic plant. Could you? Could you run um, HR or, or people, um, as it's called now, uh, for um, uh, for GE Plastics? Uh, well, the short answer is yeah, obviously. So if if the head of G, you know GE is is there listening, yeah, let's do it. Um, but <laughs> but no, I mean that's I, I think I I often do, I always default to I'm a green beret, right? So I always default to like yeah, give me the challenge, I'll figure it out. You know, it doesn't matter if I've never done it. You know, I'll do the research, I'll find the experts, we'll make it happen. Um, it, it it really depends. It depends on on the organization. So the military has the rank of general the army has the rank of general and you know the navy has the rank of admirals the same thing but you know what are what are they by definition they're generalists meaning that you know they came up through a certain branch but now they've reached a certain level where the military says you can generally lead and build an organization in something that you might not know a tremendous amount about but your ability when we combine that with a whole bank of technical experts under you is going to drive this organization forward. So 
we talked about team ability. If you have a strong team and a leader's job, when they often come into these organizations, these complex, you know, matrix organizations like GE or, you know, big, big places, you're not going to go into that organization, even as the CEO, knowing everything about it. You're just not like, you're not going to be an expert in building refrigerators and aircraft engines and, you know, AC units. Like it's just, and it's just not possible. Right. But do you know the questions to ask? Do you, know what you need to look for in your technical experts. And you may have these division heads, right? In my company now, we have department heads who are, we have a finance and accounting department. Well, these guys are career CPAs. You know, I'm not a CPA. I, I got my MBA in finance, but that's because I couldn't get jobs because I didn't know what a balance sheet was when I was getting out of the army. So, <laughs> but it doesn't mean I'm a CPA, I'm, you know, and I'm not a CFO, but I know the questions that we need to ask generally about that stuff. And I, 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 rely on them to give me that information say we have an engineering department we have a software engineering department we have an av department and there's these technical functional heads who are experts in there so you can you can lead across those because you're looking for the vision as the senior leader in the organization you're looking for where are we going and what are the component pieces that i need to put into this organization to drive it to that next level and the direction and the end state that I want to get it there. And your job is resource management. Mm. You know, my job isn't to come into the accounting department and tell the accounting department how, how to create the proper GL for the clients, right? And the chart of accounts that should be used. But my job is to say, here's the vision. What are the resources that you need to get there? What are your, your, your human capital requirements? What are your financial capital requirements? What are your technology and your process requirements that are needed for you to get there? And what challenges do you face? How can I help you by bringing resources to, the, to bear that gets you to where I need you to be? That's a lot different than me sitting down and saying, you know, talk to me about how you create a balance sheet. You know, do I need it to be done well for a client satisfaction? Absolutely. And am I going to ask hard questions when I get feedback that's not positive? I absolutely am. But it's not my job to be that expert. It's my job to bring the resources and empower them to be the expert. When you talk about leadership and leadership failures in teams, and again, my only experience is, is has been you know the navy stuff so i'm going to talk a little bit about on the navy side i think you can pick up on it is that when you look at the navy did a study and they again look at the navy seals and they were looking at their during buds uh they have these things called boat crews if everybody's ever mm -hmm. seen you can watch the documentary on it and they have these guys that run boats into the water and this is their they have an officer associated with each team and when they see a team that's doing really really well um they will then pluck that officer out of that team and put it into and switch and, and, and take the off the team as doing poorly um, and um, put the him down there and take the other officer and put them with a the team that's performing well. And they have seen a remarkable um, change in positions. Now that last place team doesn't always move all the way up to first place again, but they definitely move up the pecking order or two in the middle of the pack, maybe. Um, and, and so that kind of shows that leadership is critical, um, in stressful situations, I, I think, are, is that about correct? What you, your experience has been? 
Well, people are the most important thing in any organization. I mean, it's the the tone is set by the leader. I mean, if you don't, if it's not, you know, then you got to look at at what is setting the tone in the organization. I mean, there are there are well oiled teams, even in in Navy SEALs and Special Forces, that operate really well in the absence of a strong leader. Mm-hmm. Um, but but again, that leader's job is to inspire others to be the best versions of themselves. And it's, and it's that leader's job to bring them the resources that they need to be as effective as possible. And if you don't have somebody who's able to sit at the table and articulate that and do that, whether it's in the military or in, in any environment, even the corporate world, your team is going to suffer because it still comes down to roles and responsibilities. The most common the, the most common cause of workplace tension actually comes down to a misinterpretation of roles and responsibilities and mm-hmm. people's people coming to work with a perception that they're responsible for something other than what their boss or their company actually says they're responsible for or what other people in their in their company believe that they're responsible for. And so that creates this tension in the organization. Clearly articulating and defining roles and responsibilities and holding people accountable to that is what helps to build sustainable organizations. Because if I'm the leader, then I know exactly what, when I'm sitting at the table, what I'm supposed to be doing. If I'm a weak leader, my team is going to suffer if my job is to bring them these resources that I talked about and advocate to executive staff, advocate for budget, advocate for additional headcount. If I can't do those things because I either don't understand the problem, I don't have, I'm not educated enough in this domain to be able to speak intelligently, I lack the respect of my peers, my boss, you know, the people below me then the whole team is going to suffer and that's where things will start to break down. So when you start to switch people like that, like they do in these selection courses, that's what they're trying to understand. They're trying to see who is the driver in this group of the culture. And, and when you swap people like that, you can quickly identify it. That's pretty interesting. And, uh, and I think it's really telling to see, you know, how, how team dynamics are very, are, are very interesting. And, and I've seen, in baseball um, and football, you've seen that you change the leader, one leader out, and the team completely mm-hmm. uh, t- turns around. Hey, let's talk about your podcast really quick. We're coming here to the yeah. end of this one, um, and I want people to to be able to find you. Now, first of all, congratulations on one year. Uh, Thanks. That's, that's, a, that's a great milestone right there. Um, and I, I do follow you and I listen to your podcast. You have some great guests on there. Um, what's your podcast about, and and how can people find you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the podcast is called the Jedberg Podcast. It's found. I say it's founded in the lineage of the special forces teams of the past in uh, Germany. Um, you know, it, it, it in World War II uh, had occupied France, and the Allies identified that the only way to 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 win the war was to invade France, and the only way was through Normandy. But the Germans were were well entrenched there and uh, no operation had an ability to succeed. And so the allies came up with operation Jedberg. They recruited uh, people from the U S the British and the French militaries all across the military. They, they made three man teams. They took them to Jedberg, Scotland, and they trained them to jump into uh, behind enemy lines on the beaches in Normandy, starting the night before D day and three man teams, 
linked up with occupied in, in occupied France with French resistance. They trained them, they equipped them, and they conducted sabotage and subversion operations against the Germans, effectively winning the war. So they were what I call transformative leaders. They were visionaries. They were drivers of change. And uh, they were dedicated to winning no matter the challenge. And our podcast is about today's modern day Jedbergs. And so we talked to founders, CEOs, professional athletes, Olympic athletes, social activists, journalists, authors, uh, those who are driving change uh, throughout society, throughout business, throughout athletics, uh, and who are dedicated to advancing their cause and advancing uh, winning um, regardless of what they face. And we've had some really impactful conversations. I couldn't be more honored to have made it a year uh, and we have 50 episodes down and we release every Thursday. We're on all podcast platforms, wherever you get your podcasts, you'll most likely find us. Um, and we're on uh, Instagram, Twitter, all social media at Jedberg podcast. Absolutely. And it's a great podcast to follow. And, um, I recommend it as well. Hey friend, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Hey everybody. Thank you for your time today as well. As always, it's always a pleasure. And you know, I mean, leadership is a very special, uh, job, if you will. And I know it's not a job description, uh, but it definitely is something that as you move up the ranks and also uh, when you're in the locker room, you can always just be be a leader, uh, lead yourself and lead a team. Until next week, thank you so much for being with us. Stay safe and stay hydrated.